or there are Bibles on the table. If you are here without a Bible, we'd love everybody to just look at the Bible. We're going to open and spend some time there. We'd be happy to hand off a few Bibles, follow along, dig in. If you even want to underline or write notes, go for it. We want to be students of God's Word. Like Jeremiah said, eat it up and uh, let the Word of God become our life, our joy. We're opening our Bibles to James chapter 2. If you're a guest with us this morning, we have been going through the book of James. We want to go through the whole book and see what is God saying in this one little book in the New Testament, written by James, who was a half-brother of Jesus. He was the half-brother of Jesus who did not get saved until after Jesus rose from the dead. And then James realized, oh, Jesus, that big brother of mine that I always thought was weird, he's God. He's the Lord. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. And James not only got saved, but God started using him to be a pastor, a preacher, and now an author of Scripture. James is writing to us, and this morning in chapter 2, we're going to come to the heart of his book, the, the theme, the most important truth you will find in his book. But before we do, I've got a question for you. When you go out to lunch today, and you're at the restaurant, and you're going to get a big fat juicy burger and the waiter says would you like ketchup or mustard what are you going to say if you're like me there you go both don't make this an either or or you're going out for pizza do you want sausage or cheese what don't make me choose i gotta have them both or in pizza right all right, let's take it a little higher, more important level. You go to your doctor's office for a consult, and your doctor says, would you like your right lung or your left lung? Your right eye or your left eye? Your right kidney or your left kidney? And you say, doc, I guess you can live with one. Some people do, but I'd sure prefer two. Well, let's take it an even higher, more important level, a life and death level. You're at the airport. Before you get on the plane, they ask, would you like your plane to have a left wing or a right wing? We will both. Well, yeah, now, you shouldn't even be asking me that question. I mean, it, it, it's not possible to do one or the other, is it? And the point is, friends, some decisions are answered with the answer both. It's not an either or, it's and I need both. In James chapter 2, here, here's what we're going to learn today. The relationship of good works and faith. Is it either or, or is it and, both? Well, we're going to see the right relationship between good works and faith in the life of an individual as we read James 2, 14 through 20. And I've asked Brother Ed if he would mind reading it. You can just read it out from there with your preacher voice, Ed, and we're going to follow along. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 20. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, 
if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Thank you, brother. When James begins the paragraph, verse 14, my brothers, we know he's introducing now a different topic. He's moving on to the next issue that he's addressing. And here's the heart of the book, and here's the theme of the book in this passage. What we're going to see is that genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ always evidences fruit in one's behavior. Let me say that again. If it's genuine faith in Jesus Christ, the real deal, then it will always evidence fruit. The root in the heart will show forth fruit in the life of the believer's behavior. Inner faith always produces outer fruit. Inner, outer. They're together. It's not one or the other. Now, we remember how James began the chapter. Chapter 2 began when he said, you cannot hold faith in Jesus Christ and also hold on to partiality, prejudice, bias. Remember, you can't do both. You're not really believing in Jesus Christ if you're practicing that kind of partiality that he condemns in the first paragraph of chapter 2. Now, he's doing the same thing, basically the same thing in this paragraph. You cannot hold faith in Jesus. You cannot say you're a believer in Jesus and not have the evidence of good works in your life to back up your mouth profession. And here's how he does it. He makes his point first with a couple of rhetorical questions. You know what a rhetorical question is? That's an obvious, a question that expects an obvious answer. It's not looking for information. He's just looking for us to acknowledge the Mr. Obvious point. And then after that, he's going to hit us hard with an emphatic statement. He's going to hit us between the eyes with something that is so strong and powerful, it, it will rock us when we read what he says. So here's the first question. What good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And what's the obvious answer that he's looking for? What good is it? It's no good. There's no good in that. Question number two. Can that kind of faith save him? He doesn't say can faith save him. Because we're going to see later on, that's the only thing that saves a sinner like me and you, faith. But no, he says, because can that kind of faith, the faith that just talks but doesn't do anything, can that faith really be saving faith? And the obvious answer he's looking for again is, no, that's not going to get the job done. That's not the kind of faith that is going to save a soul and bring that soul into eternal life with the Lord. So, is it possible that just saying you are a believer proves that you really are a believer? From this passage, we would have to say, no. As the old spiritual used to say, not everybody talking about heaven is going there. Not everybody who says they're a Christian really is. Not everything that calls itself Christian, Christian artist, Christian music, Christian church, Christian this or that, not everybody that wears that label necessarily has the reality of Christ. James is warning us of that. There's more than just talk. Some people can talk the talk, but not walk the Christian walk. 
Is that the kind of faith that saves? No. They may profess Christ, but they may not possess Christ. Big difference between just talking about Jesus and really knowing and possessing Jesus as your own Savior. And now the next two verses, he gives us this really neat illustration from life. It's hypothetical because he says suppose or if, but I think you realize it's a very realistic scenario. I mean, you could easily see this happening in James' day or even in our day, the 21st century. And the scenario is this. Somebody comes into the assembly, and they obviously are in a hard place. They're needy. Just look at them. They're not dressed well. They might be shivering. They're so underdressed. They're, they're skin and bones. They haven't eaten a good meal in a long time. They're lacking. Well, not hard to imagine, because remember the very first verse of this book told us James is writing to Jewish Christians who were dispersed. They were scattered by persecution. They, were, they lost their jobs. They had to run for their lives. They probably are pushed out by family and friends who don't want them because they are now viewed as traitors. They have turned to Jesus, turned away from the system of Judaism and their followers of Christ. They're paying the price for it. And so persecuted people are going to be in a hard place and probably having a hard time sustaining life. And God crosses your path with some such brother or sister in a really needy time, and you are so caring and so loving as a believer, you pat them on the back and you say, God bless you, brother. Go in peace. Shalom. I hope you have a good day. Have a good week. God will take care of you, I'm sure. I'll see you next Sunday. It'll all work out. And that's it. That's your faith in Christ displayed. That's your love for a brother or sister. James will end verse 17, and sorry, verse 16, the same way he started verse 14. What good is that? Huh? What good, in practical terms, what difference have you made just by your fancy religious words? God bless you. I'll pray for you. And that's about all I'll do. For those who are married, your spouse says, I love you. I like to hear that, don't we all? But then the rest of the week, there's no respect. There's no kindness. There's no help when you really need it. He doesn't come home from work for hours at any. He'd rather be with his buddies than you. She doesn't cook a meal for you. She doesn't do your laundry. Your spouse might say it, I love you. But wouldn't we rather say, be quiet with the words, and let's crank up the volume of actions. I'd kind of like to see that love, not just hear it. Or your boss said, man, I really appreciate you. You're like my best guy. You're the guy here. And then the rest of the week, he's yelling at you. He's, he's telling you what you do wrong. He doesn't let you take off for a doctor appointment. You haven't seen a raise in a long time. He even owes you some back pay. He's not coming up with. He won't let you take vacation. But he appreciates you, he says. Wherever we are in life, talk is cheap. And so James says, in the same way, notice verse 17, so also, in the same way, faith, if it's just talk, it's nothing. He repeats it over and over again. 
Here's the startling statement. You ready for it? Startling statement number one, verse 17. Faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. It's a corpse. It's not a living, real, vital faith in Jesus, even though it might sound like it if people hear you talk the talk. James says, no, faith by itself, underline that. He doesn't say faith is wrong. But faith, when it's all by itself, unaccompanied by any evidence of behavior, good works, that is dead faith. In verse 20, he will repeat the same truth. At the end of verse 20, faith apart from works is useless. And he ends the chapter down to verse 26. Faith apart from works is dead. Do we get the point yet? For what James is hammering home here, could say it different ways. No works, no faith. There's no way. If you have no works that you can convince them that you really have that genuine faith, he says. I like the way one preacher says it. Workless faith is worthless faith. Workless, worthless. Now in verse 18... This is interesting. This is really challenging for, for understanding and Bible scholars to interpret this because in verse 18, James now introduces an imaginary uh, speaker, objector, and he's going to answer that. So he says, okay, someone might say this. You have faith. I have works. Okay, maybe, maybe some people go to God through the route of faith and some people choose to go to God through the route of works. And we'll all get there. We're just going different ways. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Before you buy into that, James says this. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. All right, how can you show someone your faith? Where does faith exist? In a relationship. Faith is in a relationship. What part of you believes? Thank you, Phil. Romans 10. With the heart, man believes unto salvation. You believe in your inner being. You can call that soul, heart, mind. Faith is an internal thing. Can you see my heart? Can you see the faith that I have for Jesus on the inside? No, you can't. I can't see yours either. That's why we don't judge one another. We can't see the heart. Only God does. All we have to go on is what we see in people's lives. The way they live the way they conduct themselves, the way they relate to other people, what they do with their life, their priorities, their actions. We can hear their words, uh, you know, their appearance, their associations, all the externals. So James is saying, let's see your faith. Well, I, I can't just rip it out of my heart. Yeah, I can't see your faith, so I don't even know it's there. God does, whether it is or not, but I can't. But if you want to see my faith, here, watch me. Watch me for this week. Tail me. See my life, and you'll see the fruit, the evidence of my faith by the works that display it. It's a wonderful thing to know that I can be a testimony of Jesus by the way I live my life without even having to speak a word. However, that's not to say speaking for Jesus is taboo. Obviously, we want to say, profess our faith, but only as it is accompanied by dis displaying works that also confirm what our words are saying. And now, 
an eye-popping statement. When Ed read verse 19, did your eyes pop? They should have. This is eye-popping, what he says in verse 19. Look what he says. This is incredible. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Imagine that. James says, you say you believe in God? That's good. He says, you do well. But it's not good enough because I'll tell you, even the devil and his fallen angels believe in God. They know who the true God is. They know there's only one God. They not only believe, they shudder. They fear God. Now, are those demons who know who the true God is and they, and they believe God because they were created by him and they used to serve him until those demons rebelled and were, were cast out of God's presence as fallen angels, do they trust God? No. That's what saving faith is. It's not just knowing the right God up here. It's trusting him, trusting Jesus, relying in dependence upon him. Do demons do that? Certainly not. Do demons do good works to snow? So they don't have good works, and they don't trust in God. So they, they know who God is. They believe in that. And so just by knowing God, believing that there is a God, is not enough to save them. Nor is it enough to save a human sinner who just says, I believe in God. And haven't we all met people like that? I have. I talk to people, and I'll ask them a question like, uh, uh, do you know the Lord Jesus? Or if you were to die today, are you sure you'd be in heaven? Or something to get the conversation going. And, and many times I'll say, oh, I believe in God. And I'm very tempted to go to James 2.19 and say, well, you're in the company of demons. The demons believe in God. Believing in God doesn't save you. You can believe in God and go to hell. There are a lot of people in hell today who believed in God. They knew in their mind, there's a God. He's created this world. He's created me. They might even know some of the facts of the Bible, like the devil. Not believing in God. Believing in God is not what saves a sinner. Acts 16.31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You must believe this, not just that God exists, and that he's the only God. You must believe that God in human form came to earth. His name was Jesus. Lived a perfect life. His mission was to go to the cross with all the sins of the world, paying the penalty that each of us owed God, taking the judgment and wrath of God in our place on the cross so that the offer of forgiveness would be on the table for sinners who could look at that risen Savior, the living Lord, come to Him in repentance of sin and trust in His work and say, Jesus, I want You to be my Savior. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord, Jesus, shall be saved. So we move from just believing in God to believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And that is what James is aiming at. Not just knowing God and some good theology about him. The demons have that. But it's not enough. There must be saving faith in Jesus, evidenced by good works. So as we come to the conclusion of this passage, we might wonder, what is James really promoting here? Is he just trying to get us to be a bunch of do-gooders? Work, work, work. Get into this legalistic mindset that the more good works I do, the happier God is. If I do enough religion, if I go to church, if I do sacraments, rituals, baptism, communion, 
if I keep the Ten Commandments, if I don't do any big bad problems in life, you know, we all do bad things, but if I can do more good than bad, that'll outweigh, and, and God will accept me into heaven. This whole mindset of legalism, is that what James is pushing us towards? Absolutely not. That was the number one thing Jesus condemned in his ministry, the legalistic Pharisees who had this mindset that by living a good, clean, moral life, God would be happy with you and accept you. Jesus said, no, that's not true. That's not the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, let me give you the gospel in two statements. <clears throat> gospel truth number one. Works are not the cause of salvation. Good works, even religious works, even the works of the law, which was God's Old Testament command, keeping that perfectly, if anybody ever could, which we can't, would not qualify us for heaven. Problem number one, we don't do a lot of good works. Problem number two, even those good works we do, the things we call good works, here's what Isaiah 64, 6 says, all our righteous works, that would be our best efforts, and we think we're really nailing it, we're doing great. I did so many good things this week, I impressed myself. All of our righteous works are as, remember how he filled in the blank? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. In God's holy sight, even our best good works are tainted by our sin and don't qualify for acceptance in the presence of a holy God. Whoa, that leaves us kind of hopeless, doesn't it? Where in the world are we going to find enough good work, righteousness to get us to heaven? Huh? Works are not the cause of salvation. Truth number two, works are the result of salvation. Good works are in the Bible, but not that which precedes salvation or brings salvation, but works come from the heart that has experienced salvation. Let me give you scriptures, and I'm going to hook up my host to the fire hydrant here, and I'm going to blast you, so it's going to be a lot of scripture, and it's going to go kind of fast. I don't know if you'll keep up, but you can mark these down, or, or just, just close your eyes and soak in the scripture, the volume of scripture here. Works are not the cause of salvation. Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Not by works of righteousness. Romans 3, 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Justified by what? Faith. faith apart from the works of the law. Romans 4, 5, to the one who does not work. Stop trying to work your way to heaven. Stop trying to be good enough for God. You can't do it. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. That's me, Lord. The ungodly sinner who has no hope of heaven on my own. I believe in you who would justify a sinner on the basis of your son, Jesus. Romans 11.6 If it is by grace, it is no longer of works. Lest if there's works, then it's no more grace. Ever tried to mix water and oil? You know, whether it's vegetable oil and water in the kitchen or whether it's out in the garage motor oil and water. They don't mix, do they? But they always separate. You can't get those two together. Paul is saying in Romans eleven six, you can't put works and grace. They don't mix. Never, ever. 
So if I give you my car key and I say, man, I, I just love you so much. Mike, here's my car. You got it, man. It's yours. And I give Mike my car key. It's yours. It's a free gift. You say, wow, are you generous? Maybe. I say, Mike, but I, but I do want you uh, to come by my house once a week and uh, wash and wax my other car, okay? <laughs> hey, that's still a pretty good deal, right? He's getting a car. Uh, you know, a pretty good car, and all he's got to do is a wash and wax job once a week. But is the car still a gift? It's not a gift. As long as I put a condition, a requirement, a, a string attached. Here, here's the car. You can have the car. Just give me one penny for it. Well, that's really generous. It's not a gift. It's not free grace unless it's free gift. And that's what God has in salvation. It's not he gives us salvation. We have to do something, even 1% or 2% to qualify for it. No. By grace are you saved through faith. Galatians 2.16. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through the faith in Jesus Christ. And then he repeats it at the end of the verse. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. No one stands just before God, accepted in God's presence, because of what they did in their life in terms of religious performance. You can be baptized, catechized, confirmed, communionized, ordained. You can, you can go to church every day your whole life and you can miss heaven by a mile if you are not justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only ticket, the only way. Works are the result of salvation. I'm going to give you just a couple verses from Titus. If you will take time this afternoon, maybe your Lord's Day afternoon, you just want to read through the little book of Titus. It's just a little bit before James in the New Testament. But here's a little book, only three chapters, over and over again. The emphasis is on believers showing their faith through good works. For example, Titus 2, 14. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all our lawlessness so that he might purify for himself a people for his own possession, catch this, who are zealous for good works. Zealous. They're eager, they're hungry, they're passionate, they're looking. How can I do the good works that will show people that Jesus is my Savior? Titus 3, verse 8. Same book, Titus 3, 8. This saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things, Pastor Titus, as you preach to your people, as I preach to our flock, that those who have believed in God may be careful, careful, to devote themselves to good works. Those who have believed, they're already believers. They're not trying to work their way into God's good standing. They already have believed, and now they are careful to devote themselves to good works. Titus 3, 14, he ends the epistle saying that, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. It's something we learn. We're not perfect. We're growing. We're figuring out more and more, how can I demonstrate my faith through good works? I'm not working for salvation, but I sure am so thankful I have salvation. I want, out of loving obedience to my Lord, let others see good works in my life. And maybe you're wondering about this point as we're closing. Well, what are those good works? James talks about works and 
good works. What would that look like? What should that look like in my life, in your life? Well, let me give you a few examples right from the scripture. In this passage, what did James demonstrate in that hypothetical illustration would be a good work for a brother or sister in need? It's showing compassion. If they're hungry, if they're unclothed, maybe unhoused, maybe unemployed, maybe uh, uh, sick, maybe struggling, maybe the house is falling apart after the storm, maybe the car won't work, maybe they need a ride, maybe they need help with their homework. There's a uh, brother, sister in need, and out of compassion, I minister to others' needs. That's a good work. Next week, Pastor Josh will show you at the end of the chapter 2 a couple more examples of a life of faith that is seen in good works. Rahab will show us faith in a courageous way which she boldly witnesses endangering her life. Abraham.